All right. Well, welcome back. We are in season three, episode four of Black Woman Voices. And I am Anne here. What's up? What's up, everyone? It is Dr. K bringing you greetings from North Kakalaki. <laughs> Dr. B here from Kansas. <laughs> hey, y'all. It's Jazz from St. Louis. And we are excited to have our special guest today, Dr. Renee Kirsch, who I would love for her to introduce herself and welcome to the podcast. Tell us who y'all are. All right. All right. Well, thank you all. I am Renee Kirsch and I am the Vice President for Student Affairs at Simmons University. And I am so excited to be here. I have been looking forward to this conversation all week long and I'm just ready to, to engage. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, thank you for coming. So, okay. So I do want to say how I met Dr. Kirsch was really at a conference. <laughs> we met at a NASPA conference and she had an academic presentation. And then like, I don't even think it, maybe it was a year or so later. And then you came and you were working at, she came to work at the same institution that I'm at. So I was, that I am at, she was at. So it was just kind of like this awesome experience. So I can't wait for this conversation either. So I want to start off in our conversation area and really talk about what you, what is vulnerability and what does that feel like, look like for Black women? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I, you know, I love this topic because I think that leadership is defined in so many different ways uh, by so many different people. And I recently was in a workshop where we, we had an opportunity to talk about what makes a good leader. And as part of that conversation, the reality was that all of the things that we might think people will choose in a leader as important are really not the things that all of us really are looking for, right? Looking for and that we need in a leader. And so vulnerability, and I'll talk about this, uh, of course, more as we go through the conversation, but vulnerability is that, is this word for me that represents freedom. So as a Black woman, the ability to show up and be vulnerable as a leader, it represents freedom. It frees me from the, the sense that I can't be authentic, that I can't be who, who I am and still be respected as a leader. And so what it feels like is it feels freeing. You know, I kind of, I feel like when I think about this topic, it gives me a, a moment to breathe because even though it can be seen as a bad word by some, <laughs> by some, the reality is leaders that are vulnerable are, are the type of leaders that people actually connect to they actually want to engage with, and they actually feel safe enough to also uh, be authentic and vulnerable in return. And so I think that that, that's what it feels like. It just, it feels like a a breath. (laughs) If a breath can feel, it feels like a breath. (laughs) So what does it look like as a black woman to be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what it looks like for me, now I think it could it could look different for 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 others, right? But I think what it what it looks like for me, and this is based around. I'm going to use Brene. If you if you've heard of Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability and leadership, and she defines it using three words. And so for me, this is actually I, I take that message and I, I can apply it in the way that it looks. So the first thing that it looks like is uncertainty. I know that sounds crazy. 
But uncertainty really captures imposter syndrome. It encaptures this sort of fake it till you make it sense. And it captures the, the ownership and, and realization that that is sometimes how we feel in leadership, but that doesn't make us not leaders, right? And so it, it, it's when I think about uncertainty and I think about, let's, let's take it in parts, when I think about faking it until you make it, to me, that's a boldness that it allows you to push through this self-questioning, right? Because we have this sense of self-questioning that makes us uncertain to some extent, but to be able to push through that and even sometimes call it out, own it in a conversation like this, even that that is something that we experience in circles like this, or even when we're talking with our teams and trying to help them get to know who we are, they need to know that we sometimes have that sort of uncertainty as well. And so being vulnerable means allowing some of that to be a part of uh, the way in which we engage, right? And so I think that the second part, thinking about imposter syndrome, for me, when you say the word imposter syndrome, so I say the word imposter syndrome in this room, and immediately, how do, you, how do people react? What's the reaction? In a room of Black women, when you say imposter syndrome, what's the reaction? Uh, I would say, the, okay, so my reaction would probably be, I am not good enough. Maybe I'm not able or capable. I don't have the skill set to do. So I have to, I have to be not my authentic self. Right. So if I come into the room and I say, I'm experiencing imposter syndrome, what's your reaction? Girl, you, you got think? this. Right. Right. Because there's, it's, 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 it's actually, it's affirming, right? Because we all, we all have it. We all feel it. And so, but vulnerability is being able to call it out and actually say there, there is a sense of being an imposter, which sometimes makes me feel uncertain. And so I think that, that that's, that's another way, another way that, that it looks. The second way that is defined for me is risk. And so what vulnerability or what it looks like in taking risks is recognizing that every once in a while, we need to be the ones, and particularly as Black women, that are bold enough to take the risk. There's this, the, the chief diversity officer, Michelle Meyer Ship at KPMG, she said, when it comes to careers, many women find themselves in a bit of a bind. They're trying to preserve their gains. So instead of playing to win, they're often playing not to lose, right? So this fear of kind of taking risk, but what the study that KPMG found was that women of color, black women in particular, are the greatest risk takers, right? They're the greatest risk takers because in some cases we have to, we have to be the, I mean, we're, the, the first risk is we're, we're putting ourselves out there in the first place. And then secondly, just being able to take those risks and finding that those risks are associated with gaining, gaining respect. And so then that's another way it looks. And then the third way is emotional exposure. And I know that that sounds scary, right? And obviously I'm not trying to sit in every meeting and cry. Right. That's not that's not what I mean about emotional exposure. But I think about my colleague and Anne knows her. She's just one of my favorite people in the world. Vernice Edgehill Walden. She's the chief diversity officer at at Northern Illinois University. And I know that she's been a guest on the show. She has been on this podcast. Yes, yep. she has. <laughs> but after after George George Floyd was killed, she sent a message out to the campus community 
and she connected her personal pain, right? And, and that, that's emotional exposure. That's the thing that uh, makes you vulnerable because sometimes we think like, I don't want people to know what I'm experiencing, the personal pain, but to be able to say that and expose the emotion that you're feeling is something that allows other uh, people to connect to your humanity, right? And so I think that those are the ways in which it looks and that's the way in which I've seen it in others and the way in which I think I've seen it uh, come out in myself as well. So I guess I have a question though. How, how much do you think the fear of demonstrating vulnerability towards, you know, you know, showing one's vulnerability as a black woman, how much of that fear do you think is tied into not wanting it to be weaponized, you know, by by others weaponizing that? Because I can, I think about, but think back to conversations we had last season about, you know, being able to kind of let that guard down and what that could possibly cost in doing Mm -hmm. that, understanding that it's valuable, right? But also thinking about, if I show this, is this exposing me up to all kinds of arrows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with you. I think that there, there is certainly for all of us that sense of fear that there would be some kind of retaliatory behavior, some way in which somebody would decide that we're not going to be at the table, right? Some way in which someone would decide that we're not strong enough, smart enough, or good enough to be in in a space because we have that vulnerability. The one thing that I've found in my career is that the way that I show and show my vulnerability is by storytelling and engaging with people by sharing part of my own story, which allows people to feel comfortable enough to engage back with me. And I think that the pride that I gain from that is that people feel connected to me And regardless of whether someone else is judging me for that, I had to come to the point where I I didn't care because what I realized is there was some sense of humanity that that I gave to someone else just by showing some of that vulnerability. Now, what I will say is it's calculated, right? I mean, I think we all have to, I would maybe call it calculated vulnerability because there are some spaces in which we're not going to, we won't show that. And there are spaces in in where I'm not going to show that's that specific level of vulnerability. But what I find is that we calculate, and for myself, I calculate, I identify the spaces where I can show a little bit of that. I gain the respect of others because I'm human and I recognize their humanity. And then when I get into spaces where there are naysayers, haters, people who are obviously always going to have an opinion, right? The, the thing that I think is always is beneficial and helpful is that I've gained the respect of the other people in the room. So there might be three or four haters in, in the room, but I've gained the respect of the others in the room because I've tried to connect uh, on, a, on a more personal level and show a little bit of who I am in that interaction. But it is calculated, I will say. So that was, that's a good question. It is. Dr. Kershaw, my question is, once you have, or as a Black woman, you have gotten to that point of being able to show your vulnerability or calculate when you can, how do you then support those that you work with or support those that you supervise and not in a, in a frame where, you know, you have to do it because I'm doing it, but truly encouraging them to step into that space of their own? Yeah. 
That's a really great question. And I think part of it, the first part for me is modeling. You know, I think that what I used to have this opinion, especially when I saw Black women who were in leadership, I was so enamored by them, right? And and the fact that I know that that may be the case in cases where I'm supervising people, or if I'm in a leadership role, there's some, there are other other individuals who may be looking at me and, and looking for something from me. The fact that I am in a position where I can be seen, I need to model that for the people that I'm being seen by. So in, in, in the case of my team, creating a space for voices on the team. I did this thing when I, I just started at Simmons University. And the very first thing that I did with my team is I shared with them my top 10 values, my personal and professional uh, goals. And I explained that it's important for you to know what's important to me because that will allow us to have more detailed conversations. And I found I've only been there for a short period of time, but I found it that immediately staff have said, well, I know that you've shared that you like transparency and honesty. So I want to be honest and I want to I want to share something personal with you. And I have I haven't been there that long, but that's it's just because I exposed myself first. And even in the way in which I introduced myself to the team, I introduced my family, not just me, because it's not just me that's in this, that's in this, right? I think the other, the other thing is personalizing and being, being human, but also honoring people's lived experiences. And so on your team, recognizing that everybody on your team isn't the same. If that was the case, you probably don't have a pretty good, you don't have a very good team, right? Like you, everybody has a story. Everybody has a lived experience. And so work is not the only thing. And so creating spaces to let people come to work and do good work, but also acknowledging that they have life outside of work is, I think, a really important part part of that. And then I think the last thing, going back to the how I define it, is raising the bar for, for my team, taking risks together, celebrating uh, the wins that we have together, and also when we lose, not creating a space that now becomes unsafe, where we've lost and I step back and all of a sudden now my team feels uncomfortable and they can't be authentic or vulnerable in that space. But when we lose, we lose together. When we win, we win together. And I think and keep uh, continuing to, to create that kind of space is, is part of what I have done with my teams and part of what I, what I will continue to do. So let me, I guess, in a sense, in my head, be disruptive a little bit. Uh-oh, disrupt me. Uh, what, about those, <laughs> what about those Black women in our field that have been hurt by other Black women, right? Yeah. And someone like you comes in as my supervisor or my colleague and begins to talk about being vulnerable, what that looks like. What What would you tell, What? how does that conversation look? Because it's yeah. more that, that we don't want to call a thing a thing, that yeah. it's of Black women really supporting one another in that space. And this whole idea of vulnerable, as we, as you kind of have stated, you know, uncertainty, you mentioned taking risks and the emotional piece tied to it. And so when I've been hurt by other Black women in authority in my field, and then you come in and you exposing, you know, who you are and being vulnerable, how you define it, I'm probably going to be a little bit reserved, right? Mm-hmm. So can you talk about what that looks like if you've encountered that? 
Mm-hmm. I absolutely have. And you know what? I think you have to accept for, for me, I've had to accept it as it is in that moment. Right. But have hope that it will change over time. And part, part of that is, you know, everybody is you don't know people's pain. You don't know, you know, what they've the trauma even. I mean, I know a lot of people who are coming from a boss who traumatized them. Right. And it could be that it was a black woman boss that traumatized them. Right. And so I think that what I try to do is meet my team where they where they start and or individuals that I'm working with where they start. And so I can use an example. I won't you know, use names, but I'll use an example of someone who I started working with about six years ago. And I came in, I'm sort of the outsider. I here I am. I'm all happy and vulnerable and like, hey, let's talk about our feelings or whatever, whatever it was that I did initially. And I knew immediately that she didn't trust me. I knew immediately that she just thought I was another person that was coming in. I was going to, you know, shake up some stuff, but not but I didn't I wasn't really down. I wasn't really committed. I didn't understand the struggle. I didn't you know, I, I whatever. Right. Right. And I just I. It took me some time, but honestly, I listened. I just listened. You know, I would, I would hear and engage in conversation. And then I knew initially I couldn't push as hard, but over time I was able to push just a little bit more and just a little bit more. And at some point I actually had a conversation with her and just said like, here's what I'm feeling. Can we just have a conversation about that? That allowed me to see where some of that distrust was coming from. And I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't really about me as much as it was about the experiences that she had had prior to me. And so part of vulnerability is doing what is needed to gain people's trust. And so you, that could take years for some. It could be really easy and quick f- for others. And so I don't go into it unrealistically to believe that, you know, I'm, I'm going to come in with my sort of vulnerable style and that everybody's going to receive that right away and want to engage with me. But I, but I read the room. So if, 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 the, if, if, if I'm noticing that there are some, some women in the room that are not engaging, then I know that if I'm thinking about leadership and institutional change, I have to be able to figure out how to move the needle with that person as much as I have to be able to, to, to think about how to move that needle with somebody who accepts me immediately and accepts my leadership style immediately. Right. But I think part of it is, you know, what I have found in, in this particular situation that I shared, what I found was it was continuing to authentically bring myself to, mm-hmm. to the work, but following through, right? So not just making promises, showing up sort of, it really was a journey. And so, but, but I think that it was a journey worth taking. I remember when I left the institution, the, the comments that I got, I just, they made me cry. I mean, they really drew, like put, made me, it humbled me, honestly. It did because what I realized is it just, it just took time. And, and, and over time that I was able to build trust and 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 move the needle a bit so yeah um, I, I promise y'all i'm gonna stop in a few minutes but That's no, right. no no you don't have to <laughs> so when you think, so thinking about your definition of vulnerability thinking about vulnerability being a black woman and then now talking about vulnerability in the workplace as it relates to higher ed mm-hmm. say that being vulnerable is more about 
me or more about the other people? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that for me, it allows me to bring more of myself to the work and to my work, right? Into my work environment. It allows me to feel a little more comfortable with just sharing parts parts of myself. Mm-hmm. I think for other people, it opens door. It opens the door, and it allows people to the comfort to feel like they can communicate with you. And so, and I think if I was stoic and I was not, you know, not a not will, if I was a wall, right, and I was trying to be in in this leadership role and trying to move the needle and trying to, you know, encourage people to follow the vision, right? Mm-hmm. That that's that ultimately is not helpful because people only some people can can engage and interact with me right Right. Uh, but part of that vulnerability is recognizing what the needs are of people around and then trying to figure out the way to allow for an open space where they feel like they can engage with you freely uh, because you've humanized the interaction right so i think it's both I, i don't think it comes from one side Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, I, okay. So, first of all, I want to say that you are quite possibly, Dr. Kirch, one of the happiest people that I, I have just met. Just like generally so happy. Yeah, I can feel is, that. Which is so awesome, right? Because uh, I think one of the main criticisms of higher education is that it's this field of unhappy people. And so yeah. the prior to higher ed, I came from hospitality, but it had the same kind of moniker. Like we are supposed to be happy, but yeah. we're not because we're just working so hard. We're trying to do these things, trying to move up. And so I guess this question just kind of, it just came to me, this thought of where can a person get that when they don't already have it? Like, how do you <laughs> cultivate that? Because in order to move, what I'm hearing is to move to this place of vulnerability and authenticity, you have to have some semblance of okayness within yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's necessarily happiness or what does that look like, but yeah. like, how does one start at the beginning and cultivate that I mean, were you like a happy baby? I'm just trying to get at it. <laughs> I was a happy baby, actually. Right. You know, I, I think that it's perspective taking. You know, for me, it is, you know, I have I've had, I've certainly had periods of my life where I have been not as happy, right? And in 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 this sort of space where I was trying to figure out who I was and it was frustrating. And, but what I realized is you can live there and then look back and wish that you had have moved past that so that you could achieve the things that you're trying to achieve, or you can start to reframe. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that the term reframe for me is, is always in my head. Okay. So I really, I'm really pissed right now. And I really want to say something. I'm really upset and angry, but what's the reframe? So is, is the energy that I need that I'm going to use to be mad and angry and upset worth what the outcome is? Is it going to get me to where I'm trying to go? I'm going to write so, that down because I'm going to write that on Monday. <laughs> I <don't, you> know, <laughs> because I think at the end of the day, and as a, as a leader, people feed off of your energy, right? And so I think that we have all known people who are just 
just grumpy and just not in a good place. And when you look at their teams, you see that energy um, across the team, right? And so there's, there's to me, there's a, a responsibility that, that I have as a leader to create some sense of positivity that people can feed off of. Because that, that will make uh, me a better leader, right? Because at the end of the day, it means that people will be, will be open to, to some extent to, to coming toward the vision, but it will help people get out of the constant complaint. And I think that's one thing that we struggle with in higher ed is like, we, we, our environments are challenging to say the least. I don't even know. I was going to say toxic, but I like, you see how you're okay, just like, yeah, I, right. I, she said challenging. I was like toxic. Oh, okay. No, right. Toxic. Right. Okay. Yeah. Challenging. But you know what, though? So my research for my, my PhD, my PhD is in community health, and my research was on the relationship between stress and health risk for women and administration in higher ed. And what I found in that research was that the way that you, when you have something that's a stressor, the way that you actually respond to that stressor determines your longer term health, right? So if you see it as a threat versus a challenge, then the threat is what leads to longer term mental health and physical, physical, health, poor physical health, right? If you see it as a challenge, it's almost a reframe, right? Because a challenge suggests that you have some control over how to move forward. You have control to decide to leave a situation. You have control to decide to say something to somebody. If you see it as a threat, you, you, you're defending, you're holding on. And so that was, and, and ironically, in the research, about a third of the women in the study were on the track to poor mental health, which is not surprising. And if I did that today, I'm sure that number would be even higher. Right. But I, so I think that the research itself actually helped me because the reason I did the research is because I noticed that a lot of the women in leadership that I saw were unhealthy, were depressed, were divorced. I, you know, like a lot. And so I used to think, is, is that what leadership, you're like, honestly, that was my question. Like, is that what leadership means? If, if I, if I rise beyond this position, is that what I can expect? Am I going to be divorced? Am I going to be unhealthy? Let me understand this. And so I think when I went through that process, it did help me to understand the reframe is a really big part of that. How do you force yourself and challenge yourself to keep reframing, even when you don't want to, and I'm not always doing it, believe me. But I try, <laughs> I try my best to, to, to continue to reframe. And, and I think to, to, your, to your point, Dr. Kelly, it also becomes about other people, right? Because if you can reframe, then you, you're reminded that you're in a position that other people are learning from, you know, gaining something from. And if you, if you enter that position and you, and you don't enter it in a way where people gain something positive from you, then you can harm. I mean, you, you really can. So I think that that's, that's where that comes from. It's awesome. Well, <laughs> and I guess my other question to that, to kind of even that point, because it sounds like there has to be this strong level of like self-awareness mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and like just being real present with yourself in the moment to say, okay, how is this going to serve me? And that, and I feel like that's sometimes that's not always you know, something that I can have readily access to. Yeah. And I think that's, so what 
so how do you get there? I mean, is that something that you're like meditating every day or like, <laughs> because I'm just saying like, yeah. what's really going on, you know, because I think, because I think sometimes we have in our minds, minds okay, we're going to do this. And, you know, sometimes people just take you there and it's hard not yeah. to go there when they take you there. So mm-hmm. what, so, so, so what would that look like on a daily like practice? Yeah. To yeah. Sure that you are kind of really present you're really engaged with yourself and you can pull back before it kind of topples into something negative yeah well I think for the first thing on a daily basis you have to and I feel like this for myself you have to constantly give yourself grace because at the end of the day you are going to get you know they are going to take you there and so (laughs) and there are going to be some days where you fall off the wagon right and I think it's 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 how you respond to that right so when you fall off the wagon maybe it's two hours later but are you self-aware then, right? In that, in that moment, right? And, and to me, it's, it's a time of the, the more time that you do that, the longer you do that, the more you get into situations where you have to do that internal fight, the better you, you get at it. So I think it's a practice thing. I wasn't, I don't think at the beginning of my career, I was as good as I became, right? Because I think I realized over time, if I wanna have influence, I got to control a little something about what's going on inside of me, or I got to figure out how to, how to say something back that cuts, but it's, it's, you know, it's still received well, like say it with a smile, you know, (laughs) or how do I say something back that might be influential and people will hear. And so I think it just, it just takes, takes time. And I think that's, I mean, I, I always talk about giving grace and giving grace to others and giving grace to yourself, because that will help you to reduce some of the emotional response to some of those things. And after a while, it becomes separating out some of the emotion from like the, the rational, but you can't, I mean, it won't go away. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a constant process. And I, and I think even for myself, it's a constant, it's a constant process. So I don't necessarily meditate or anything like that, but I, I used to actually, there was a period of time where I think I started to feel like I needed to grow up as a leader, like become a grown up leader. Right. And, and that was part of my thinking is what do I need? What do I need to do? What do I need to enhance? What do I need to develop? How do I need to be in order to be able to, to engage in conversations as a leader where what I have to say is, 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 is heard. And so that it's been a process though. And and I'm not by any means there yet. I mean, I don't think I ever will be, but the one thing that I do know is one of the top characteristics that people love in, in leaders and they ask for, and when you ask people what matters most to you about a leader is emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence is all about self-awareness and understanding how your behaviors impact other people. And I always say, like, there's a difference between intent and impact, right? It doesn't mean you're never going to do anything that has, you know, that that has a negative impact on somebody else. But it it means understanding how the things that you do, the things that you say have both positive and less positive impacts on people, regardless of what your intent was. And some of that emotional intelligence journey is about sort of owning that, seeing it, recognizing it, not always agreeing but owning it, seeing it, and recognizing it. Can I add to that just a little bit in regards to your question, Dr. V? 
I think for me, when it comes mm-hmm. to this, what am I trying to say? When it comes to practicing vulnerability and things of that nature, I think, and it's gonna it's gonna take me back to our very first episode of this season. <laughs> We talked about, of course, like we do every season, some things that we want to work on within this year and within mm-hmm. just, just overall and all aspects of life. And it takes me takes me back to, I think my answer was being proactive rather than reactive. Mm-hmm. And so I know you asked, you know, does she, does she, do you meditate? And while I don't meditate, I do pray and I do believe in the power of the speaking things. Yeah. And so even though, you know, there's not always, a lot of situations where I have to come into where I feel like I have to be extremely vulnerable or I have to make sure, you know, I'm not snapping on nobody because mm-hmm. X, Y, Z, I always, before the day begins, just pray over the day. Yeah. I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing day we're about to have. And I thank you for giving me the words. Nothing has happened, but thank you for giving me the words to use in X, Y, Z situation in my professional and my personal and I think it's just speaking it and setting that tone for your day, which I think continues mm. to set the tone for your life and building you to that level of vulnerability you will have or that you would need. It's just a continue, like you said, Dr. Kirsch, it's 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 like a roller coaster. You're gonna you're gonna start, yeah. you're gonna go up, you're gonna go down. But I think being consistent in self-talk for you yeah. and being proactive, not worrying about what other people may or may not do. But just starting that proactiveness um, in positive self-talk for self, it's gone. Yeah. It, it just, it continues. Yeah. Well, and I think I would, what I would add to that is, I mean, just this circle right here of wonderful Black women, right? That's also, I mean, I would say that's another way, another part of the leadership journey for me in that I have, I have wonderful friends who are Black women who are also in these spaces where I can find comfort in in actually saying like, girl, can you believe that fool did? Right, I can say that, right? I can't say that to the person, although I'm thinking it, right? But I can say that in the circle, my circle, where I have that safety to be able to say that. But then I can also, when I'm in my work environment, recognize the need for people to have like some sense of safety and being able to honestly talk about these things. And so when I have staff who come to me, I want them to also feel, they're not gonna be able to say it at the level that I say it in my circle, right? But I want them to feel like they could say something to me that would help get something out that they need to get out so that they can be more productive, that they can focus on what they need to do. So I think that's the other thing for me is outside of this workspace is having a space where if I really need to like be completely vulnerable in a way that I may not actually fully be in my workspace, I have that space as well to talk through some of those things. So that that's that's one thing I forgot that that has been really important to me. Yeah, I want to. So nine times out of ten, when you bring up oh you need to be more vulnerable, etc., the first thing people will say, well, I'm not, and I think you alluded to it in the beginning. Well, I'm not about to cry in front of my boss. It, it's technically emotions. And then you recently just brought up this whole idea of emotional intelligence, and that's being able to manage your emotions and managing the emotions of people around you. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts around the connection or disconnection between what it means to be vulnerable and what it means to have emotional intelligence? Well, I think they are linked. You know, I think that the emotional intelligence is, is, is about awareness, 
And I think vulnerability suggests that you need, you have to have some level of awareness of the people that you're engaging with to determine what level of vulnerability you're going to bring to that space. So I think there's a connection for sure between the two. And frankly, I think that both, if you have a leader who's both, who has the ability and the confidence to be both vulnerable and emotionally intelligent, right. that's a leader that more than likely people are following. Like it's, it's a leader that people feel comfortable with and can rely on because there's some sense of, again, I, I hate to use that to this term over and over again, but the sense of humanity. I mean, I think that, you know, in these envi- these work environments, sometimes we treat people like they're like cogs, right? Like they're right. just... And especially in COVID, we see it now, right, where there are just people who are exhausted and they just feel like nobody has even acknowledged or taken the time to, like, understand what they might be experiencing outside of this work environment, in addition to what they might be experiencing within this work environment. And so I think that the the two are linked and the two are, are really important to good leadership. Yeah, yeah. What is it about vulnerability that doesn't allow us to talk about it more in leadership? Like, you think about... You know, this is a question not just for you, Dr. Kirsch, but in general, when we go to these leadership trainings and we all know the ones we talk about, <laughs> meetings that we have to do to keep our jobs, you know, I've never heard vulnerability being brought up. Mm. I, can I, can no, I, 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 I've never heard it brought up. And I think part of it is because of this idea that vulnerability equals some sort of weakness. And yes. like people uh, misdefine vulnerability yes. and, and it's because somebody told them and it's just generationally right. mentor wise passed down yeah. that being vulnerable is not going to get you promoted. Yeah. It's not going to help you in the, in the long run. So I, you know, and I'm almost weary of leadership trainings that don't speak to the person as an individual and just rattle off a whole bunch of qualities and traits you need to be this you know what something that student affairs kind of started to do as a profession that really kind of angered me is that Mm. they started doing like the strength finders and you started to see people putting their Mm. top five strengths on Mm. their resume and as a person that comes from the world of business I'm like that's not how you use and career and and assessment that is not how you use strength finders they're not just like arbitrary things on a resume that's not what they are but Mm -hmm. we have said and then they you know you have departments using that to create a team my whole student affairs team but and I'm just like but that's right. not how this works. None of well, it. <laughs> and, I, and, and the other piece too is that I actually read an article and my students are reading an article that talks about when we do strengths finders through the lens of whiteness and mm-hmm. we don't really think about that intersectionally. Like how does, you know, how, how does, you know, adaptability look being black women? What, how, mm-hmm. how does that translate? Because we do this broad, this is true for everyone. Let's put it on all of our email signatures. Let's also put it on our, you know, you know, that piece. And so to your point, Anne, I've, that's kind of the critique that I've known that I'm, that, that I think many people are trying to have with it. But I think to your question, doc, your kind of statement, Dr. K, I've seen more of kind of, even in the conversations that I've had with some additional friends about, you know, there's so much fear in showing that vulnerability because, we're in spaces that were not created for our own personhood. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. idea that in 
because I know for my dissertation, like the, the one of the large findings were black women cannot be vulnerable because of all of these A, B and C things. I think we would want it to be a safe place, yeah. but I think there's also, we, we also must come to come, come to conversation of what's the environment that these folks, that all of this is manifesting in as well. Yeah. yeah. But also vulnerability is not one of them strengths on strength finders. I just want to put that out there. It's not. See it that way. So go, go ahead, Dr. Kirsch. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think you all, you all hit, hit on it very nicely in that it's, it's part of it, the way in which we define it and what we've linked it to. You know, right. just like the 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 weakness piece, I think is is great is really important, and the fear, you know. And I think that you know when we go back to the uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, just like strengths, there's a there's a really good side of that, and then there's a side of that can that if you don't calculate it well, could put, take you in the wrong direction. And I think even as you talked about the way the way we use strengths. The one thing that I've learned from my, my current boss, who is a phenomenal Black woman, who I'm going to mention at the end, for sure, because she's amazing and everybody needs to know her. But she, right. uh, <laughs> but she, she goes beyond. So if you go to a leadership training, it's not just about you go to that one and done, right? That's why they don't work. Mm-hmm. But when you go to that and then you follow it with some like a thoughtful, engaged discussion, that's taking it to a different taking it to a, to a different place. And so if you're talking about strengths, okay, these are your top five strengths. Okay. Let's talk about what that looks like in the context of, uh, uh, of race, like as a leader, when you show up with X, Y, and Z strength, what, what does that look like and how, what, what are both the, the challenges that you may face when you show that, right. And you show up with that and what are, what are the, the, the benefits that you see? And so I think that there's that deeper dive that we miss. And, and in a lot of, and I would agree, like in student affairs, I think we, we have gotten so used to just sort of a one day workshop that you write all these notes, you get real, you like really feel like you did something and you really believe you're going to go and do something with it. And then you put it in the bottom of the shelf. And then like, once you move 10 years later and you pull that out, you're like, I learned about the strengths. Remember, I learned about this. And so I think that it's the intentionality behind those those trainings that's missing. And how do you go beyond that? Right. So yeah, because I think just Lord, y'all don't get me started. It's for me, it's that whole concept of when you're in a, a master's program and they're teaching you all these theories, mm-hmm. but they never teach you how to apply it to different spaces. Oh, yeah speak to higher ed and student affairs. I don't have a student affairs degree. My degree is in counseling, right? And so when I interviewed for my first position, one of the questions was, what's a student development theory? So I easily Googled and made, (laughs) right? But I'm looking at our professionals that are coming from student affairs programs and becoming, you know, permanent individuals. And when you're talking to them, they're thinking about the theories, but they can never tell you how to apply it. Yeah. They come in thinking, all right, I'm going to work at PWI. Okay, great. You get to the PWI and you realize there's an increase in minorities as your institution. But the theories mm-hmm. that you know and you adapted were mainly for the majority population. And then mm-hmm. shift that um, to make sense. And even more so for HBCUs where, you know, our institutions were created because they didn't want Black folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all of your theories were created by white men for white students at that time, yeah. particularly white mm-hmm. male students. 
better tell yeah, her. Listen, and then and then you send me to these leadership trainings, which have the same format, which they're teaching you theories, mm-hmm. things based off whiteness, but they never tell you how to apply it. Mm-hmm. So to what Ann and Dr. V has said, and then you hear this podcast and you hear Dr. Kirsch say, a leader that can be vulnerable and have emotional intelligence, that's a leader of influence. Mm-hmm. And back and say, well, I've never heard that in a training. What does that <laughs> like to even know how to cultivate for myself or even to recognize it in my own leaders? Mm-hmm. It's like, when do we get to a point where we are applying things, right? Mm-hmm. Just going through the motions of these words of vulnerable, emotional intelligence, practice adaptability or whatever you all say. I've never taken strengths fine, so I don't know nothing about it. Uh, because it's think about the framework in which all of that is is set up and I think you're you're also speaking to context right you have to think about what like what's the context that you take that into those traits those characteristics that you take that into because you know one of the things that I I have always been disappointed in as I've gone through my career and I think back to my journey as a student affairs practitioner is never understanding how language matters like how much language matters and if you've read like the five love languages and that was like the that was like the the book that changed my marriage right like yes (laughs) yes because what it all it it talks about right this sense of you do what's most normal for you right but that may not be the language that the person that you're engaging with speaks right Exactly. And so to some extent, I mean, that's part of emotional intelligence. That's part of vulnerability, because in order to understand the language that the other individuals are speaking, you have to get to know them a little bit more. You have to listen. You have to be sort of aware. I found that because as being trained in student affairs, and then I ended up in academic affairs for a long time, and I used to feel like I wasn't prepared to speak the language of faculty but I was in a position where I had to influence faculty, right? And so it felt like a, almost like a disservice. When, and so whenever I've had an opportunity to talk to student affairs, stu- students who are going through student affairs programs, that's what I say, you know, you can't, you can't just expect the faculty to like hang out in the residence halls all night long because that's not, that's not the space that their daily life is in. Right. Maybe some faculty will do that. But if you don't understand the language that they speak and what matters to them and how to get get through and influence, then you can only go so far. Yeah. So I think that's that's important. So my, my last thought, comment, question, because <laughs> uh, you got me wired up. This whole idea of. So I'm going to I'm going to hiring practices and how we hire folks. Right. And so. And we're going on the premises that an effective leader, a very influential leader, someone who has emotional intelligence and knows how to be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. And what is the conversation or some thoughts behind how we hire people and the profession, the position they're in versus how they can truly be vulnerable in that space and show up? Because if, so for instance, in student affairs, as a Black woman in higher Mm -hmm. education, you become more than what you're you getting paid for, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm paid to be the data person, right, right, and that's all I know. But then all of a sudden, people get hip that oh, have you seen Dr. K go visit her? And then all of a sudden, these students, these staff come. 
I took a role where I knew that I didn't necessarily have to be vulnerable in that space because it's just a computer. And right. now, because of, I guess, you know, other people talking about it, whatever, people are coming to my office where they're, they may be looking for some vulnerability for me, but that's not, I wasn't prepared to be that. How did mm-hmm. that show up? Because I still want to be an influential leader. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. It is a good question. Especially since, and this is, I was before, especially <laughs> since in student affairs, they call us helping professionals. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, well, I didn't, I don't have a degree in student affairs either, but how do you cultivate helping professionals without vulnerability? I know we're doing it every day and in all the programs, but. Yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, I think that there, I mean, let me make sure I understand fully the question, because I think I hear you asking, what if you were hired in a role that there wasn't really a need for you to have that sense of vulnerability? And that's what I believe. Yeah. Right. Okay. And now your, your, your people are coming to you Mm -hmm. and they're not receiving that from you. Is that well, first saying? of all, they are receiving it for from them because they that's are. why they're coming. Nobody okay. will come to that's them. Why they're receiving help. They're, they're, so, they're receiving assistance, but what they're not receiving is that vulnerability part because they want to reciprocate. They want to trade. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm hearing, Dr. K? Yeah, so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, because of my space, I may I may meet you, Dr. Kirsch, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we, and I'm vulnerable. I know what it means for me to be vulnerable, right? And so you recognize that. And we have some good conversations, et cetera. And then you tell students, right? That, you know, ah, okay. <laughs> and so they're coming to me. I'm not expecting it. And it's like, so going back to the context um, and our professions and how we show up in terms of our vulnerability. It's almost the tax, right? I think you're talking about the tax, right? Like once, once somebody knows that you have that characteristic, then more people start coming toward you. So I, I think that part of vulnerability is also honesty, right? I mean, I th- it doesn't mean that you tell people no, right? But I think part of it is you have to be honest with yourself about how much you can give right. on a daily basis and still mm-hmm. have something left, right? right? Or still feel like you have the space and time to pursue the goals that you have for yourself personally in your, in your career. And that's hard for us. I mean, I think that's hard for all of us because we don't know, we want every child who shows up in our office right. to sit there for six hours and tell us, I know, I know y'all, and I know you got to do this, <laughs> right? And think, after hours too. Right, right. And I think, you know, I, I think that it's difficult that you clearly are showing that sense of vulnerability, but I think part of that is also setting certain, setting some boundaries, right? <laughs> so being vulnerable doesn't necessarily mean that you don't set boundaries. And in fact, being able to articulate that I need to set these boundaries is, is also part of the, the risk taking, right, in doing so. It, but it won't be easy because you do want to help everybody. That's why we all got into this profession in the first place. But at the end of the day, they're not going to be, they're not going to get you to the next level if you want to get to the next level, right? Like that, if they're sitting in your office for eight hours, but, but they're, but I think that people respect, even when you say like, you know what, I can't meet right now, but let's, you know, let's meet tomorrow at this time, or you block off that time on your calendar before anybody can get to it. So you can find your space or you leave your office 
so that you can go somewhere where you can't be found. Like sometimes I used to hide, you know, just hide because that's the only way I could really kind of start to set that boundary. So I think that there's, it's a challenge. It will take time because when we first enter the profession, that is like what gives us the most joy, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to con- engage and connect. And if you're working with data and assessment, I'm sure that that actually is the kind of thing that you like, thank God, I love this, right? Like you don't want to stop <laughs> yeah. doing that to some extent because yeah. you really, and if you have backgrounds in counseling, of course you are listening. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, that was just a hypothetical thing, you know? Yeah, uh, uh, okay, it's hypothetical. <laughs> because, oh, it's not you, okay, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> in, in the profession, in student affairs, we tend to mimic people that we admire. Yeah. And fail to recognize that we are on different paths, different journeys. So where I and vulnerability may be different than where you are versus someone else, right? And yeah. so, so we got to be careful about how we mimic those that we look up to. And then the other piece is that, you know, vulnerability, at least for me, is it begins within self and think about anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so for some people, it begins with everyone else and not me thinking about myself. And mm-hmm. so different to different people. And then when you tackle on where you, where are you sitting on top in terms of your camp mm-hmm. position, that's different. So, you know, practicing vulnerability within self and working in housing looks different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Vulnerability and be working in assessment data. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I see that. So, okay. So we going to talk all night, but I okay. want us okay. to kind of like uh, <laughs> some things because one of the things our, our real theme if we have if I can call it that for the season has been unmasking and I think a conversation mm-hmm. about vulnerability emotional intelligence you know generally I have a question about like you know how have you been unmasking but I feel like this whole conversation you've been talking a lot about how you have unmasked because to mm-hmm. be vulnerable is in essence I feel like there's such a correlation to unmasking, mm-hmm. to being unmasked and to showing up as your authentic self. Mm-hmm. So let me just see if I can ask a few, just a few, like we have asked our guests these closing questions. So what books would you like to add to our Goodreads list? We have a good okay. read. What books do you have for us? Okay, so they might be a little bit boring, <laughs> but, but I, I was really thinking, so- from a leadership perspective, so just kind of tying it to leadership, there are, there are three books that have been really um, useful for me as I've grown and developed as a leader. And it's really about thinking about change because institutions of higher education need to change. And how do you influence change, right? So one is called The Leadership Pipeline. It is a really amazing book that talks about levels of leadership and how you go from one level to the next. And the challenge of being sort of going back and forth, especially when you don't have enough staff or you don't have support from your your leader above or you're stuck in the middle doing too many day-to-day tasks. The second one is called Leadership on the Line, Staying Alive Through the Dangers of Change. Uh. Really good book. I love it. And then the third one is called Switch. And it's also about, about change. But then the last one, I started off talking about, you know, how I how I sort of define vulnerability is is from Brene Brown's Brene Brown does a lot of talk about vulnerability and shame and leadership and she teamed up with Tarana Burke and they have a book that's coming out in April 
called You Are the Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience. I'm going to read that book. I am. I already pre-ordered it. I'm, pre-ordered I'm like, it. and it's stories. It, I, it just sounds amazing. And I think it will, you know, address even some of the questions that we talked about here. So those are the books that I would recommend. Okay. Okay. And so also we, okay. I don't even, I ha- I haven't gotten to the playlist in a long time, but I know it has gone from gospel to ratchet to trap <laughs> to just everywhere in between. So do you have any music that you would like to add to our Spotify playlist? You know, I'm going to say this is a really j- broad statement. Anything by Layla Hathaway, oh, I would add. Amazing. I mean, I just, I listen to her constantly. I feel like she inspires me. She fills me up every single time I hear her voice. And I also love Boney James. I love jazz, uh, smooth jazz and anything by Boney James gives me joy. So those are the two, two people that I would add to the Spotify. And you can just throw every single song. Every song. Ever written, all the right? Because it's like, there's no song that either one of them have written that I haven't loved. So I just want to say that that is so, you know what? Your song choices, your book choices, they're like calming. Are they? <laughs> they're like even calming book. It's, you know what I mean? So I'm like, hmm, I think I would like to listen to that. And so, okay. So our last question is, is there a black woman that you would like to celebrate? Absolutely. So I spoke about her earlier today, but the president of Simmons University, she's, she's been the president since July. Her name is Dr. Lynn Perry Wooten. She, if you want to talk about leaders who are the real deal, who truly practice what she preaches, she empowers people, she stretches people, she makes you want to be better. And I've only been working for her for a short period of time, but I have heard from others that that is true to who she is. And so Mm -hmm. I, she is someone to celebrate and someone I think people should know. I appreciate it. And so I just want to say, does anybody, any of my co-hosts have anything that they want to add? I got new <laughs> Anybody <laughs> want to add something? Come on, Dr. K. And wait, and she's a Delta too, by the way. Who? Oh, oh, ain't nobody wearing my dick. <laughs> oh, she so uh, I didn't even want to bring it out there, Soror, but me and Jasmine are both Deltas. Don't even worry about okay. it. Okay. We, we see... Ain't nobody. We let y'all have tw- not, uh, 2020, Kelly. No, no one, uh, that, no, no one let us have 2020. No one. No, not, not one person. Don't no blame one. it on the devil. Yeah, COVID, COVID canceled that. That, that was COVID. That was, that was, that was, that was <laughs> we need that. <laughs> but I want to go back to a math mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. I want to know if you've ever felt that you have had a mask. And what mask was that? And have you removed it? Mm -hmm. come on with it have I ever felt like I had a mask Mm -hmm. so the answer to the question is yes the what I'm struggling with in the answer is what what was that mask right because I I do feel like before I really found my voice Mm -hmm. right and I did feel like for a long time I really had to sort of hide behind the mask of silence until I started to really find my voice. And and do I still have that mask? Probably some days. Like there are some days where I'm I'm sure of it, but I'm more self-aware. I'm more uh, aware when I feel 
like my voice is being silenced or I'm allowing it to be silenced. Right. And so I'm just constantly moving forward. You know, I think that some of that has to do with how we grow up, right? Right. I know uh, people and I have colleagues who they grew up in, in homes where engaging in conversation and debating was like a part of that. Mm-hmm. And this might even go back to your question, Anne, like where my positivity to some extent comes from. I didn't grow up in, you know, I grew up in a house with a very strong father who grew up in Mississippi as a sharecropper. And you, you spoke when you, when you were spoken to, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't, we weren't dialoguing, debating. And when he says something, I had to listen, like, even if I didn't agree. Right. And so I think that for me, it took me a while to find my voice because I was sort of unlearning some of the ways in which I learned to interact with people as a child. And so, but, but, you know, I think it's a work in progress. It'll always be a work in right, progress. Right, exactly. Yeah. For that. I think that's powerful. I, I think that we, especially as Black women, have that mask of silence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which, yeah, that's that's powerful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. This has been dope. This has been yes. dope. So, Dr. Kirsch, you want to thank you for um, taking some time and being on the podcast and you know, and, and gracing us with your presence. So, so what y'all don't know is she is an avid podcast listener. She come up with some good podcast lists. So uh, thank you. This is, this is such an honor and a privilege. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to Black Women Voices. Please um, make sure to follow us, subscribe. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Did I make Facebook up? Facebook, SoundCloud, please. And please, I just want to make this plea. Please make sure that you subscribe and that you like, um, leave a comment, give us a review, rate and review right. our podcast because that's how other people are going to be able to find us. And so, and we, and we, and we want that. So this is us signing off. Can I, can I just say thank you all for who you are. And I'm just blessed and honored to have been here. And please just, you know, so many people are going to learn from you. And I just appreciate being in your presence today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's part of, you know, people listening so we can keep bringing dope guests like yes. on the show. Absolutely. Wow. And that's on what? <laughs> Mary had a little lamb. <laughs>